All right, I want to look to Exodus chapter 15, and we need to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Gosh, so many things going on in the life of our church, especially when we get to the end of the year. And I know we are all busy, but God, may every bit of it remind us of your goodness and grace to us. Um, Father, help us not to forget that. Father, thank you for everyone that's here tonight. And I just pray that we uh, together, God, would, would look to your word and be edified by it. Father, and we just pray for our church, even as we got people all over our buildings now uh, worshiping you, learning about you, learning about how they can serve. God, I just pray that you'll give us, continue to give us hearts that are just uh, desiring nothing more and nothing less than to honor you and glorify your name. All of this we pray in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We ended last uh, talk their time together with that chapter 15, verse 21. And basically we ended with all of the ladies of Israel singing praise to God. Praise to God. We had Moses' song, his praise, and then Miriam took the tambourine and the ladies praised God. That kind of signified the end of the exodus, if you will, in telling. Now, what we mean by that is now they are done with Egypt. They're out and they're free and clear because God has not only delivered them, but taken care of their enemy of Egypt in the Red Sea. They are done. So they respond to him by worship and singing. And if you remember, we discussed the fact that the whole story started by the ladies crying out for help as Pharaoh was murdering the babies, right? And they're crying out for help. And Miriam, as a youngster, is hiding Moses in the reeds. And now Moses has come along through God's great goodness and delivered the people of God. And so Miriam of all, which has seen this unfold from beginning to the end, uh, is singing and rejoicing of what God has done. For he has heard the cries of his people and delivered them and brought them out. And so now, having ended that process, we're starting on the new journey. Egypt is in the background. They're in the rearview mirror. And now we're starting on the journey to the promised land. We're getting ready to go. And so that's the beginning of this passage here. And over these next uh, few chapters, you're going to see some real interesting themes that pop up. One, we're going to see the grumbling of the people. We're going to see the grumbling of the people. We're going to see God test them three times. He will test them, as the scripture says. And we're going to see that theme again of them knowing God and him being made known to his people. We're going to see that theme continue throughout this. Now, I'm going to be honest. I was studying this today, and my head, as I was looking at this, went 10,000 different directions. There is so much in this passage and so many places to go in this passage that I really could go ahead and take six to seven weeks on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe even more than that. I mean, there's so much here, but we're going to try to do it in uh, 44 seconds. Uh, no, 40, 44 minutes and, and three seconds. So we're going to try to do it that way tonight, okay? So... If I sound scrambled, I think all of it's good. I just don't know how it's going to come out. And so we look at this passage and we, we, we get to verse 25. They're celebrating their singing. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. 
They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Most people would say that's about as far as you can go, traveling, working three days without water. That's about as much as a body can take. So they head out three days. They found no water. They're walking through the desert, right? They find no water. And so three days of this, they find no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, which means bitterness. In other words, they traveled three days. They finally see water and find some water. And when they get to it, it's undrinkable, non-potable. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This water is undrinkable. You can't, you can't drink it. It's either Bitter is how they put it. We don't know if that necessarily means it tastes bitter. I don't think that's it. I think it's other, an otherwise disgusting, dirty, nasty, not able to be drank. So that's what they mean by this. This water is no good. And so could you imagine three days they're walking. Now remember, this isn't just you and your family. You know how hard it is sometimes when you get all, well, well I'm going to tell on us, Allison's in the back. You get all six in the car and to please everybody. You know how many times I've reminded people, this vehicle is not a democracy. You don't get a vote. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is a dictatorship. I'll tell you where we go. That's just us moving along with six of us. How about moving along, as it said, with 600,000 men and more moving through the desert and trying to find a truck stop that'll work when Bucky's is not even big enough? And so you're walking through this and trying to figure it out. Finally, after three days, they find water and it's not good to drink. Now, what I'm saying is, at this point, God is pushing the people to the limit. He's taking them to the limit, if you will. And the grumbling here may be explainable. Three days, no water, finally fine water, and, and, and it's not drinkable. And so they look and they said, when they came to Mar, they could not drink the water of Mar because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mar. And the people grumbled against Moses. The grumbling here may be understood at first. We've traveled in the desert. It's hot. We finally see water. It's no good. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to die here? Ultimately, this grumbling begins. As I said, it's a theme that runs throughout. And by the way, this theme of grumbling does not end here. It's in chapter 16. It's in chapter 17. It continues throughout Exodus. It goes into Numbers. In fact, in Numbers, you find them grumbling more than ever. And so the grumbling is going to be a theme that's going to run throughout this whole time of Israel grumbling against God. And what we will see is God will hear their grumbling, but at the end, it's going to try the patience of Moses. It's going to try the patience of God himself, and it's going to try our patience as we read through it and see how they continue to grumble because what God is doing in every step of the way is teaching his people to trust him. And so the grumbling as it continues, here you may say, well, they just started out, they're learning their lesson, right? And then they're, they're, they're growing and they grumble, but God will teach them and then they'll be okay. But as it continues, they're grumbling against a God who has always answered them, who has always cared for them, who has always watched over them, and they should never doubt him. Here, they just watched the Red Sea open up. They just passed through on dry ground. They just watched the Egyptian army be crushed. They just celebrated and sang, but three days later, 
I mean, you can almost see the movie, right? The movie is, is they're, they're celebrating and singing, and then, then they do this long stretch eclipse where you, you kind of flash with all the people one by one being exhausted. Old people, and that's not, I'm not talking about any of y'all in here, old people passing out and falling out. You know what I'm saying? You see the, 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 the shots of, of, of people just being tired and having to be carried and all these other things, and finally they get to this water and it's no good, and they grumble. We may understand it here, but it's going to wear on us. What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, Moses. And the Lord showed him a log. Now, this log, this tree, whatever it may be, he shows him this log. He cries out. They grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So ultimately, we have a simple little, little issue. They need water. The water's not good. God says to Moses, I'll make it good, throw a little log in the water, a tree in the water, and immediately that which was dirty or that which was bitter, that which was undrinkable, becomes drinkable. God takes care of them. God watches over them. This is a simple little, little incident. It's not as big as what's coming. It's God showing his people that he's going to provide for them when they think that they're at their wit's end. When they're pushed to the limit, God provides. And so he's trying to teach them something. And that's exactly what the Lord says. The Lord made for them a statute and a rule. What we will find is that God is going to call his people to follow his statutes and rules even before Mount Sinai even before he gives the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Ten Commandments in many ways are just going to codify what God has already taught his people, right? He's already seen this. He's teaching them as you go. And God is not just uh, what the Ten Commandments look like sometimes is that God is in heaven just saying, here's my rules, boom, 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 boom. But what you realize is God is teaching them life lessons in every step along the way. So God is not just the teacher, lecturer up front doing it. He's walking them through the wilderness for them to learn as they go as well. God is teaching his people these things, and that's what he's saying. He says, this is made for you, so you'll learn a rule. What just happened to you happened as a test. There he tested them. He pushed them to the limit where they had no other options. Only God could do something, and God did, right? The other place that word test is used is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Anybody remember what happened in Genesis 22? Genesis 22? Abraham and Isaac, where God said, I'm going to test you, where God pushed Abraham to the limit. Do you remember that son you've been waiting on for 20 some odd years, that son that, that Sarah laughed about, that son you hoped for and longed for, and now you finally have him? I want you to sacrifice him to me. And God takes him to the mountain, and there he pushes him to the limit. He tests him to see what he would do. And when, when, Abraham proves himself true, God provides and steps in. God provides. So it is here. God's saying, this is the same way for you. Not only have I brought you out of Egypt and you've seen the plagues, you've seen the Red Sea stuff, you've seen all that, but now I want you to know as you walk through the wilderness, I'm going to provide for you. I can make what's bitter and undrinkable sweet and drinkable in a moment, in a moment. And so here, he's going to do just that. He takes what's bitter and he makes, it, he makes it sweet. In fact, listen to what the Lord says. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord. Now, notice here, 
in verse, uh, what verse is that? 26. In verse 26, if you look, we have the word if. Now that's a change. We hadn't seen that word yet. Uh, God is going to do something here if. This becomes conditional. We need, to, we need to be reminded that their salvation out of Egypt was not conditional. God didn't save them and say, hey, I'm going to rescue you out of slavery if you do this, this, and this, right? God rescued them out of slavery. He saved them. God, their, their, their call out was not conditional. They didn't have to prove themselves. He came in and said, these are my people and you're going to let them go, Pharaoh. I'm coming after them. God saved them of his own initiative, unconditionally pulling them out as his people. But now that he saved them and having dealt with that, as they begin to walk through the wilderness, as they begin to go through the wilderness here, God is going to teach them things. And what he's calling them to do is to obedience. So listen how he says, what is he requiring of his people? If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, the first thing he requires of them is to listen. You got to hear what I'm saying. You got to listen. And he, he even throws the word diligently listen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all probably use that. Y'all better really listen to me this time. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, you've got to listen to me. If you want to make it through the wilderness, the Lord is saying, you've got to listen to me. If we're going to get there safely, you've got to listen to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be distant from you. I'm going to be with you. We're going to walk through this. And if you're going to make it, you have to listen to me. And surely any of us that have been responsible for somebody younger or for somebody that, that we're, we have to lead them through trouble, we've said this before. Hey, if we're going to get through this, you've got to listen to me. We got to, you've got to listen to what I say. That's what the Lord is saying. You've got to listen to what I say. But listening is not enough. You listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and then what? You do what is right in his eyes. Not only listening, but listening is not enough in and of itself. Listening must be followed by doing, right? It must be followed by doing. These, these two things go together. Believe is an action word. We've talked about this before. Your theology has to match your duology. Y'all have talked about that before, right? And so these two things, ortho, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, have to go together, which is theology and duology. Your idea that you have to not only hear God, but you have to do what he says is in Scripture. In fact, James says this. We can't just be hearers of the word, but doers, right? That's what the Scriptures teach us. So you not only hear God's word. God's word is primary. It's most important. You have to listen to his voice above all other voices. He's the voice you follow. You listen to him diligently, and you do what is right in his eyes. And you give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. So he's kind of like got this four parts. You listen, you do, you pay attention and keep. Is that right? That's what give ear means. Pay attention. You listen to his word, you do it. You pay attention to his commandments, you keep them. He says, that's, that's really the rule I'm giving you. 
You, you, that's, how, that's, that's all I'm telling you as we walk through. When he comes in, he uses this episode of pushing them to the limit, getting them to grumble a little bit, then providing what they need through the water and showing that it's him by throwing a log in the water. That which was undrinkable becomes drinkable. He says, listen to me. I promise you, you'll make it safely home. Keep my commandments. Pay attention to what I say. Here's how we're going to make it. God has not only saved them from uh, the bondage of sin in Egypt and redeemed them from that, now he's going to safely bring them home by leading them. But of course, if you're a leader, what do you have to have? You have to have your people to follow you. And so God says, here's what it is. And through this, you're going to prove who his people really are, right? If you are my people, you'll keep my commandments, basically. You'll follow. This will be proof of it. So God says, this first test comes along. He says, all he said, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord, your healer. The Egyptians were disobedient. Do not think you're outside the judgment of God, he's saying. But, be, but listen to me and follow me. Don't be so cocky and arrogant as to think you're outside the judgment of God. In, in, in many ways, that kind of dovetails with the sermon this past Sunday. Don't be so cocky and arrogant to think that, you, that you're safe already, basically. Because God can bring judgment upon his people for disobedience. Ultimately, the Lord is saying, ultimately, the Lord is saying, either you trust God or you do not. Either you trust me or you do not. Either, either you believe that, that I have the power to bring you safely through or you do not believe it. Either you trust me or you do not. Either I am good and faithful or I am not. Remember, the Bible eliminates any idea of the middle ground. The scriptures have what I call the law of the excluded middle. There's no, there's no middle group here. The scriptures put it like this way in the New Testament. Either you're a child of God or you're not. Either you've been born again or you're dead in your sins. Either you're walking in the light or you're in the darkness of this world. Either, either you've passed through the narrow gate or you're in the wide gate. You see what I'm saying? Either you're a sheep that is on his right side being welcomed into to heaven or you're a goat, as Matthew 26, that is on the other side. There's no middle group anywhere. Either you believe God and you follow him or you do not. That's ultimately the scripture says that. And that's what he's saying here. If you're going to be my people, follow me. There's no middle. You're going to be disobedient or obedient. There's only two, two options here. There's no third option for you to figure out. And so he's calling them. He uses this as a test, having pushed them to the limit. And he's showing them that he can guide them and lead them and he will take care of them through it. In fact, then they came, as verse 27 says, then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. In other words, this wasn't just some water popping up. This was a substantial oasis that is able to keep a forest of palm trees alive in the middle of the desert. This is kind of like they get to the first gas station and it's closed or real ratty. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you think, this is, man, this is it. This is all we got. We've been traveling down the road and this is the last one. But then the Lord is saying, I got you. And right around the corner is a QT, you know, where you can get an extra large gulp for like a dollar fifty-nine. And it's got all those drink options lined up. That's what he's saying. I've got everything you need. You complain about something and just around the next corner is everything you need. 
I, I tell people that. We talk about that a lot. Uh, a lot of young guys, I try to coach young guys who are looking for a wife. And they get all discouraged. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all guys probably were there and your wife bailed you out. And so they get all discouraged looking for a wife. And I say, for all you know, you'll meet her tomorrow, right? There's no reason to believe you're, you're single forever. For all you know, God has them and you'll meet them tomorrow. So live every day looking. Don't, and, and, and you don't want to meet them tomorrow being all dopey and sad. You know what I mean? All you know, God has it for, in store for you tomorrow. Trust the Lord. He'll take care of you. And that's exactly the way Israel is. So all you know, the oasis is around the corner. And you're whining and complaining, but God has kept you and he's keeping you. God tests them first here and shows them what they need. The Lord guides them to an oasis there at Mara. This is the test as it gives us. But we find out there's another test waiting around the corner. They set out from Elam then. They have water. Six weeks basically passed. They set out from Elam and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So about six weeks after. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. So this time, that last time they grumbled and they just said, we need something to drink. But this time they take it the next step further. Not only are they grumbling now because they don't have any food, right? And they're, they're going through and their supplies are out. They've run out of supplies. Not only are they grumbling about that, now they take it the next step further and they say, man, it would have been better for us to have died in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread full. It would have been better for us to eat and eat and be happy in Egypt and just die right there than the God to bring us out here in the wilderness. Stay in that place would have been better. If you brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, that sounds like I, my Macy always likes for me to talk to her. That sounds like Macy every day after she gets out of school. I'm going to just go ahead and tell y'all. She gets out of school and she says, if you don't get me French fries today, I think I'm going to die right here of hunger. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. Can't believe you wouldn't get me French fries after school, Dad. And so ultimately, that's exactly what we see. They're sitting there saying, you've left us out here to die. It would have been better for us to eat in, 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 in Egypt and die under their hand. At least we'd have been full. And so the grumbling escalates here. They saw the Lord provide the water, but this time they're talking about the food. By the way, let's talk about grumbling for a little bit. They had head out. It's roughly 70 days after Passover, as the text tells us. Their provisions are gone. They grumble against Moses and Aaron. The Lord has led them out here to die. I want y'all to know that grumbling in the scripture is a serious sin. It, it, it demonstrates a lack of belief in God and a dissatisfaction with the provision that the Lord has given us. There's nothing else that we should long for in our life more than Christ Jesus himself. And the grumbling demonstrates that we don't have all we need when we have God and Christ Jesus. In fact, y'all don't believe me because some of y'all like to grumble. So let's look to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you look to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Paul is writing to the Corinthians and they got all kind of trouble. Grumbling's one of them. And they got all kind of trouble going on. So Paul starts writing. Verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He's talking about the exodus. And all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things, verse 6, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, all that's happening in this exodus, in this moving, took place as an example for us as Christian believers today that we don't practice the same evil they practiced. And what was the evil they practiced? The evil they practiced was a distrust in God who was delivering them. He's saying all of that happens so we won't fall into the same trap. In fact, the book of Hebrews said they wandered around in the desert, never found the rest they were longing for. Why? Because they didn't trust or believe or follow God. Jesus himself says, in the wilderness, Israel ate the manna from heaven and they died, right? Jesus is saying they ate it and they died. I've come, and we'll talk about this again in a minute, but he says, I've come that you may eat and not die. So the rest is available for you who, is, who are trusting and believing and following after the Lord. You will find yourself faithfully home as his child, he's saying. These are evil things that have come. In fact, he comes down in verse 10, he says, uh, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That's going to be Numbers chapter 21. We must not put Christ to the test, be destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. He says the grumblers would be destroyed. These that grumble in this passage would ultimately not find their way to the promised land. What, what we see here is that God is patient with his people. In fact, Psalm 136, Psalm 136 goes through the history of Israel, remember? It goes through how God did this, God did that. Y'all remember the second line of every verse? For the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. For the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. God has been displaying his love for his people with every action he takes in this book, in these passages. And for the people to turn against that and say, that's not enough, God says, that's sin. It's distrust. That grumbling represents a distrust or a lack of belief or a lack of following. And so ultimately, that's what we see that's happening here. And that distrust even grows with that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. It'd be better for us there. In spite of their complaining, though, God still provides for them because he promised he would. But don't, don't get sucked into believing that your complaining works when the Lord provides. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. But don't believe that just because you complain, that worked. 
In fact, I would say again to draw your attention back to John chapter 6, just because God provides for your needs when you grumble and complain doesn't mean that you're safe. Jesus said, I gave them manna from heaven in John chapter 6, and they ate it and they still died there. Hebrews 4, they ate it, they never entered the rest there. God's provision should not be taken for granted God's provision should not be seen as what we deserve, but as a gift and mercy to us. That's why, by the way, Lamentation says in chapter 3 that his mercy is new every single morning, right? And we got enough for today. That's going to be evidenced in the next little section in Exodus chapter 16. Because when they grumble and complain, God is going to provide for them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. So we have a, another test that's coming. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Again, we have another theme that has picked up again. We've seen grumbling and we've seen testing in light of it. Now we're going to see you're going to know the Lord again. The knowledge of the Lord has been seen in his salvation. Now they're going to know what it means to follow him and to trust in him. So you're going to see the glory of the Lord. This is the first time that phrase is mentioned. This is the first time that phrase is mentioned here. Uh, but it's going to not be the last time. Here they'll see the glory of the Lord. In a little while they'll see the glory of the Lord at Sinai and they'll shrink back from it. You remember at Sinai, the cloud comes down, the lightning, the fire, the thunder, the earth quakes when the Lord speaks and it says the glory of the Lord is on display on the mountain. Remember that? We talked about it. I did the 10, we went through the 10 commandments sometime here, didn't we? I feel like I've been here forever. We've gone through the whole Bible. We went through the 10 commandments here. We talked about that fire and that cloud and that thunder and that quaking that came down as God delivered the two. And, and the people shrink back in fear of who God is and what he's done. And remember, even as Moses comes down the mountain and his face glowed, they were terrified of him. And they put a basket over his head so they didn't have to look at it. They'll see the glory and they'll shrink back from it. But not only that, at the end of Exodus, the book of Exodus ends with God's glory being in the midst of the camp as they build the tent, the tabernacle, if you will. And God fills the tabernacle with his presence and his glory fills the place. So they'll shrink back from his glory at Sinai. They'll see his glory there in the midst of their, of their place that'll bring his presence into reality in their midst. They'll see that. But isn't it interesting? That the glory of the Lord, which will show itself in thunder and lightning and clouds and earthquaking, will show itself in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day in the presence of God in the tabernacle that he sets up for his people. You'll see all of that. It begins by showing himself in the everyday provision of bread. I find that to be fascinating. Any of y'all ever heard of the little book, Our Daily Bread? I'm kidding. Y'all all heard of that. You can't be like a Christian and not hear that. Um, and if you are, then by all means, you, you still are a Christian. I was just joking. 
Our daily bread was that little bit that went out so often of a little nugget every day from the scriptures to learn from, a devotional. It, it, it comes from, of course, Proverbs 30, where the Lord provides every need. Today we have enough. Our daily bread is met. And then it's, it's, it's prayed by Jesus. When you pray, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord provides all of our needs. And what we find here is that the glory of the Lord is seen in the fact that every little need every day is taken care of by God for his people. You wake up in the morning, the man is on the ground, the glory of God is seen. The glory of God is seen. It's seen in majestic ways like at Mount Sinai. It's seen in small little ways of everyday provision that the Lord gives for his people. I'm going to give you enough, he says. I'll give you enough every day. So he provides that and he shows them his glory. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. This, by the way, is a warning because of what's going to come in chapter 17. Your grumbling's not us against us. He's grumbled against Moses and Aaron. But Moses and Aaron saying, all we're doing is following the Lord. He's the one providing. He's the one leading. So when you grumble against us as leaders, you're grumbling against the Lord, Moses and Aaron say. And so that's going to set them up for what's going to come in chapter 17 when they grumble about water again. And, and, and we'll see that again uh, in a few weeks. He says, you're grumbling against the Lord. And Moses there says, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the filling of your stomach at night and in the morning, you'll know I'm God. By the way, I don't think that's changed. It's the very reason why still to this day, before we eat our meal, we as a family say the blessing, right? It's not just a blessing like God bless this food and don't let it kill us. It's not just that. I prayed that a couple times. But it's more of, thank you, Lord. Because what you have in front of you has been provided from his hand. That's what the scriptures teach us. Sure enough, you paid for it. Sure enough, you had a job. Sure enough, you got it somehow. All of those things come together. Because the supernatural and the natural cannot be untwined as we think they can. God uses the gifts and talents of his people. God uses all of these things. So as we can say, while I went out and brought home the bacon and fried it up in the pan, the Lord has provided this for our family and we don't lose sight of that. And so here the God is saying, the very fact that your belly is full is a testimony to God's faithfulness to you. He's faithful and he's been gracious and he's provided the very fact of it, the glory of God is seen. And you go to bed at night full. You go to bed at night full. And so ultimately the Lord says, I'll provide every need you have. In the evening, we don't talk about this much. The morning you got the manna, which the Lord would say the bread from heaven, right? In the evening you got quail. Have any of y'all ever eat quail? Y'all like quail? Y'all know what I'm talking about with quail? Man, quail is good. Y'all know quail is all white meat. Y'all know that? All of it, little old bitty bird, 
But man, it is all white and sweet. It's my favorite bird to eat. I'll just go ahead and tell you all that. But they don't buy them at the grocery store. And if you buy them at like a restaurant, they think they, that they made a solid gold. But the Lord provides, and he doesn't just provide anything. He provides the sweet meat of quail for his people. They come into the camp. They, they, they come flocking in. They don't even have to go out and hunt them. They don't even have to have the, their shotgun tuned. They don't even need a dog, you know what I'm saying, a, a pointer. There's the quail. They come in and they gather them and they eat the sweet meat of quail. And when they wake up in the morning, the bread is there on the ground and all they got to do is pick it up. God provides. God provides. When the dew had gone up, there on the face of the wilderness, a, a, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Y'all know manna, that's, that's that what is it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what is it. What is it? But Lord, uh, uh, Moses says, this is bread that God has given for you. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can. Eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you is in the tent. In other words, you get, I don't, we don't necessarily know how much an omer is. What we do know is it is the measurement by which they're using that is enough for each person to have every day to provide all of their needs. So every, how many, many? You got six people, you get six omers to divide up and bring into your family. The key here was don't take more for tomorrow. You don't store this stuff up because if you do, it goes sour. You trust God every day to provide it. You trust God every day to provide it. So they keep going and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. In other words, you may say some people eat an omer and that's not enough. Some people eat an omer and that's too much. He's saying the way it worked out is that God provided every need. Everybody had exactly what they needed. It was enough. He provided their needs. He met them every single day. Trust him. And then, as we see, here the Lord is going to implement, implement a day of Sabbath, if you will. Again, God is making himself known. For us who have read this and worked through the scriptures, we recognize what that Sabbath is. It goes back to creation, right? It goes back to that day that the Lord rested. So even before Sinai comes, the Lord implements the Sabbath here. He says, on the seventh day, I want you to rest. Now understand, this stuff is just falling from the sky on the ground and the quail are running up into their tent and saying, kill me and eat me. So it ain't like they're working too hard. God is teaching them a lesson so as to say, you trust me every day. And on that seventh day, we rest. I'll provide everything you need. So on the sixth day, you take double what you need. So as on the seventh day, you can find rest. Moses did these things. He let them know. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God did it in such a way so as to say, if you want to try to find my blessing outside of my commandments, it will be poison to you. It will be stank. 
It will be stank. Uh, I love that morning by morning. If you if you know you don't know, I love Charles Spurgeon. One of my favorite devotionals was written by him, simply called "Morning by Morning," referring back to this verse. How every morning you wake up, you have the promise of God on display for you there on the ground. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, "This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord." Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. These are the Lord's commandments that he's given them. Say they they laid aside in the morning and Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there was no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none, just as God had said. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. God has said that he is faithful to provide. These are my commandments. This is what he goes back to. Listen carefully. Do what I've called you to do. We'll make it safely home. I'll provide all you need. We'll make it safely home. Lessons learned here. One, uh, one this provision of God as they walked through the wilderness was, was by all means supernatural. They didn't have to work for God's provision. They didn't have to work for the manna. They didn't have to work for the the meat that would come into them. In fact, it tells us a little bit later that for 40 years you're going to travel through, and for all 40 years I'm going to take care of your food needs. I'm going to take care of all of your provisions that you need. God is saying, I will bring it to you. This bread will be provided by me. This meat will be provided by me. I'm going to watch over you, and how will he do it? Supernaturally. It's there for you for the taking. Not only was it supernatural, this was God's gift to them. It was also sufficient enough for each day to get through what they needed that day so they did not have to look for anything else. God had taken care of them, and he had provided for them. If you kept it too far, then it would be ruined. But enough for every day. The daily bread was met. The daily bread need was met. But not only that, it was sacred. It was sacred because look at what it says a little bit later. The house of Israel, verse 31, calls his name, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Don't think rice cakes. Those things were awful. This was better. Moses says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to him, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable, habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan and Omer is the tenth of an epoch. Here the Lord had provided for them and God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take an Omer, put it in a jar 
and give it over to the Lord, so as a testimony. This is why whenever the Ark of the Covenant would be built a little bit later, manna would be found in that Ark of the Covenant. It would be placed in there just as Aaron's rod would be placed in there as testimony for all of Israel to say, God not only has the power to lead us out of Egypt, Aaron's rod, but he also has the provisions for us every single day to make it safely home. Not only does he give the power to save us, but he has the provisions to get us safely there. It was a memorial, if you will, a reminder. And that's why this bread is sacred in itself, that every single day it's provided for you and it is enough. It's enough. But there'll come a time when that reminder is no longer needed because we look to John chapter 6, right? And what does John chapter 6 say? Right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, right after he had provided supper for them, they came across the lake that day and they wanted what? Breakfast. God had provided, Jesus had provided supper for them, five loaves and two fishes. He provided that for them, and then they followed him across the lake and said, where's the breakfast, right? Just like in the wilderness, in the wilderness, the glory of God was seen, and at night he fed them, and in the morning there was the manna. He comes back. Don't lose the imagery of what Jesus is doing here. As they come to him in the morning, they said, where's the food? And Jesus said, what? I'm right here. Y'all get what he's saying? The morning, in the evening he provides, in the morning he provides. And they come back in the morning and John 6 says, where is it? And Jesus looks at him and says, I'm right here. I'm the bread that has come down from heaven. You don't need the testimony in the ark anymore. You don't need that as a testimony. I myself am the testimony that God meets every need and I will satisfy you. For man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your sustenance is not found in the food you eat. Your sustenance is not found in the water you drink. Your sustenance, what gives you life, is found in the one you believe in. Jesus says, that's me. I'll satisfy you. I'll meet every daily need. They came across that lake, and in the morning, they wanted to know, where's the bread? And he says, I am the bread. But listen, he says, your fathers ate it and died because they didn't believe. You can eat the bread of life and not die. That's a good evangelism strategy, isn't it? Eat, die. I mean, don't eat it and die. Eat it, live. There you go. That's when Jesus comes up and he says, I'm the bread. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Jesus saying to him, just as God provided in the wilderness, now he has ultimately and finally provided every need we have in Christ. Everything's here. Your sustenance, your satisfaction, all of it is found in Christ Jesus. I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. You don't have to look for it anywhere else. You don't have to look for it anywhere else. Eat me, he says. Eat my flesh and you live. Don't eat it and you die. And you die. Ultimately, all of these, as Paul says, are lessons for us. 
And it's all pointing us to Christ Jesus who has fulfilled every promise of God to provide the needs of his people. And it's greater than just some what is it on the ground in the morning. It is the Son of God who has come to redeem his people and save them from their sins. That's what it is. Jesus says, it's me. I'm the provision of God for your life and salvation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to never forget it, never take it for granted, and help us never to grumble or complain for every, everything has been satisfied and met in Christ. So help us to rejoice in that. Thank you for your great provision for us in him. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all so much. We'll see you Sunday as Nathan is here. Y'all come, join us. Don't, don't, don't miss it.